This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining our monthly Global Markets Perspective podcast. My name is Philip Robotham. I'm delighted to be joined by Scott McLennan, co-head of Schroeder's Global Sustainable Growth Fund, alongside existing co-manager Charles Summers. Uh, The Global Sustainable Growth Fund is a patient capital, high conviction, global equity fund, which invests in sustainably run companies and is approved for distribution here in South Africa. For more information on the fund or on any of the topics we discuss on this podcast, please do not hesitate to contact your usual Schroeder's representative. We're going to spend the next 15 minutes or so discussing what's happening in global markets and then focusing on the investment themes framing Scott's investable landscape. Uh, Hello, Scott, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Phil. Um, Delighted to be here. Great. Thanks, Scott. Um, As mentioned, we'll start with a brief recap of what's been going on in global markets. I suppose we could use a a sporting analogy here for the first half of the year um, of complete obsession and quite rightly with inflation. And then the realisation by policymakers they were behind the curve with how to respond to the inflation. Uh, Obviously, since getting to grips with it, especially the Fed, and communicating this to the market. Um, they've been quite happy to, to state that a slowdown in global economic activity is a necessary side effect, which I suppose in H2, uh, we are now experiencing fears of recession, expectations of the slowdown, and our investors are reacting. Um, can we start, Scott, with your thoughts and experiences in the markets year to date? Sure, I think your analogy of a game of two halves it's probably fair we're at half time and we don't quite know what the second half holds um markets have certainly been pretty tough sailing over the last few months um and there's a lot of uncertainty out there as you mentioned we've clearly had the war in ukraine return of inflation sky high energy prices tightening labor markets widespread supply chain disruption you name it and the macro environment is certainly rearing its ugly head after what was i guess in hindsight a relatively clear water in the post-recovery period in in 2021. I guess one thing to look back at has been the strength in the energy companies we've seen um, on the back of that surge in the oil and gas prices we've seen post-Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This has been challenging for some active fund managers, particularly within the sustainability land, but our approach to excluding fossil fuel companies um, from our investable universe remains completely unwavering. And our conclusion from recent events is actually that high and volatile fuel prices going forward are only going to serve to increase the urgency required for countries and governments to um, reach a full climate transition and actually has dialed up the importance for companies that we invest in to follow through on their on their net zero commitments. So lots going on, um, but clearly from a sustainability perspective, um, lots to digest. Given your thoughts there, is your view that a recession is inevitable from here? I think it's Difficult to call. I think it's more likely than not. Um, clearly, um, the way that central banks have managed the, the first half of this year is they're trying to bring down um, expectations in the market towards a recession, ideally in a diet recession or a soft recession scenario, where they can then manage the interest rate environments going forward. Um, that is a very difficult task. Um, but that's uh, much less damaging to the economy than uh, widespread inflation. So they've done the right thing in terms of bringing down, um, bringing down demand and, and trying to reset expectations. But it just remains to be seen how, how well they can manage that and just how embedded the inflationary dynamic is 
uh, around the world. Um, clearly, we've been dealing with the post-COVID issues around supply chain. We've seen a massive spike up in commodity prices post the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So it's slightly uncharted territories for central banks, um, particularly after 10 or so years of declining interest rates and almost free money. So we remain open to many possibilities currently. Um, but I think a recession of some sort would be in the base case rather than in the bear case. Have you seen any signs um, in the short term then uh, when interacting with various corporates or or in your research of any, uh, I suppose, deceleration in this in- inflation or, or any stabilisation? Um, it's an interesting question because I think in the most recent quarterly numbers in Q2 and, and to some extent in Q1, um, the companies that we speak to and invest in haven't seen too much uh, deterioration in demand. They've definitely seen an increase in costs around the board um, for the for the reasons I've just outlined. But on their forward-looking statements, there is a lot more caution. There's a lot more uncertainty out there, as I mentioned. And um, I guess one example of that is a lot of the tech companies based in Silicon Valley have put a freezing on hiring going forward. They are readjusting their expectations on future growth after a long period post-COVID of net employment. And so I think from a macro perspective, would be music to the Fed's ears around um, dampening expectations around future growth. So yes, we are seeing it. It's not necessarily manifested just yet in numbers, but we can expect it moving into the second half of this year and potentially into the early part of 2023. Great. Well, thank you very much for that succinct um, wrap up. And it takes us nicely into, I suppose, how you're looking to navigate these trends and how they're impacting the investment themes within your portfolio. Um, you, are you able just to run through some of the um, the opportunities or, or areas of, of key interest for you and the team at the moment? Yeah, sure. I think it's worth just taking a step back and, and, and analysing how we, how we invest um, as, a, as a team really in such a volatile and unsettled backdrop as we've just discussed um it's very easy to lose sight of the bigger picture and try and think short-term self-preservation but we remain committed to investing for the long term and really seek to uncover companies out there that have the strongest stakeholder relationships whether that be with their suppliers their employees regulators customers or the environment and this is no more important than than today, where where we're seeing such um, such macro uncertainty. So we firmly believe that companies that exhibit corporate karma, and by that we mean where there's a balanced approach to all stakeholders and not just shareholders, tend to not only survive in this type of environment but also thrive. And so what we're trying to do in our investment process is answer the fundamental question: What makes a great company stay great? because good corporate citizenship is an important driver of what is a long-term earnings durability that hopefully leads to alpha generation rather than a short-term action. Um, Because in in the short term, a company can neglect these relationships, they can neglect a particular stakeholder to try and improve profitability, uh, particularly in times times of stress. But in the long run, this creates risk in in the business and it potentially limits future growth all to the detriment of shareholders. So for instance, a company could look to boost its short-term profits by either underpaying its employees or underinvesting in training or safety. And ultimately this impacts recruitment and retention efforts because human capital is the ultimate, ultimate scarce resource and turnover is very expensive and disruptive. So we're looking for companies who can avoid some of the turmoil that can lead um, from that. 
So really, in a nutshell, from our investment philosophy perspective, we take a diversified multi-stakeholder approach. And again, we focus on the long-term outlook for companies so that we're not buffeted too much by the macro undercurrents that we've just talked about. And it'd be fair to say that our recent performance has stood up to the test of that um, somewhat more favorably than some of the other purer, either environmental or thematic funds um, in amongst that. And that's because of the diversified multi-stakeholder approach. Fantastic. Um, if, if just taking us back to my introduction at the beginning, I said the Global Sustainable Growth Fund is a patient capital, high conviction global equity fund, um, which clearly invests in sustainably run companies. Could you could you provide a bit more context on two definitions you've used? Firstly, the patient capital. And secondly, the one you've just used about the multi-stakeholder approach, just for our clients that might not have heard that terminology before. Yeah, so in terms of patient capital, um, this is a rather low turnover of product um, and an investable idea needs to be scrutinised from both a sustainability perspective and a fundamental perspective. So we can go into more detail later on, but the sustainability analysis around a company is very, very rigorous, very detailed. And it's analysed not just by the investor looking to recommend the idea, but also in an investment committee um, on which there are three investors and three sustainability experts. And for a company even to be in our investable universe, never mind in the portfolio, there needs to be unanimity across those six people um, with all their different perspectives around what the sustainability potentials of that company look like. So there's a very, very high hurdle rate. Um, and then once it's on the investable universe, we are, um, we are valuation aware and valuation um, sensitive. So we're looking to invest in these companies at the point where we can maximise the risk adjusted return. So in answer to your first question, the patient capital is around the due diligence that we do in each of our companies in the portfolio, but also in the investable universe, as well as the timing around when we would look to be participating in and investing in these companies. In terms of the multi-stakeholder approach, I think it's important to outline that um, we are as focused as the next investor on how the impact of climate change can affect companies, but it's not the only impact and externality that can impact um, companies that that can drive their future durability of earnings and so we're just as interested in the relationship companies have with their employees with their supply chain and with their customers and you as we talked about at the start you know these are tensions right now um and companies that haven't thought through some of these relationships companies that don't have long-term durable relationships with each of these stakeholders can tend to be flummoxed by short-term uncertainty and so it's actually in these times of stress that the, this analysis that we do around the multi-stakeholder approach really pays dividends because we can talk to companies and speak about the long term, speak about how they've embedded some of the practices, how they're looking to fine tune some of these practices on a three, five, seven, ten year view, not on a three quarter view. And that's hugely important for that patient capital long term outlook and delivering on and sustainable and durable returns. Great. Uh, what, what defines sustainable investing for you then uh, uh, and your approach to this? Um, we often rebuttaled with greenwashing, uh, widely spoken in our market, and uh, the complexities around um, analysis on sustainable investing. So, so what what defines this for you? It's a very good question, and you could probably ask this question to 100 investors and get 110 different answers. Um, but for us, um, you know, we fundamentally believe that sustainability is really about how. Um, you can operate a company for growth without creating costs elsewhere. You know, those costs can tend to be hidden um, through externalities. And so it's actually through the deep understanding of companies' business practices. And as I said, with the relationships to their stakeholders, that we can really understand how these companies work um, for not just the short term, but also the long term. Because ultimately, 
the changes that we're seeing in climate or inequality or workers' rights, these are reshaping the industries that companies operate in. And that has a knock-on effect on where value is created and destroyed. So the companies that have been successful in the past may not necessarily be in the future and vice versa. So we have to be active, we have to be thoughtful, and we have to deeply integrate our sustainability considerations into our thinking. It's hugely important. So the way that we do it is through um, the framework that we discussed uh, earlier. It's called a sustainability quotient framework. It's called the SQs. And this strategy um, for the global sustainable growth was founded in a deep collaboration between members of our global equity team, but also our industry leading sustainability team. And it's leveraged all of the sustainability and fundamental resources we have around the firm. And so the framework is designed to assess the sustainability of a company's business model, its growth prospects and its stakeholder management. And so the bar for inclusion is extremely high. And because the analysis we do is very rigorous and systematic, it comes to a qualitative assessment because all too often investors are looking for ESG analysis to be boiled down into something that is a score or a simple conclusion. And we believe that this gives a false sense of security around what an investment approach can be and actually makes investors fall short of the aims of investing sustainably. If you take third party ratings, for instance, they provide a lot of information around their grades, but they're often backward looking. They're often biased towards companies with loads of disclosure, and they're often a poor predictor of future controversies. Um, our analysis shows that while these third parties provide lots of outputs um, um, from their reports, 80% of the output is based on disclosure rather than actually a tangible measure of performance. So our experience is that actually through controversies and analysing stakeholders, we can have a better prediction around some of the companies and where um, their sustainability credentials lie. So because sustainability analysis will always be subjective, it will always be grey, it will always be a matter of degree, we accept that there is data out there to help us, but our approach is not data driven. Our approach is qualitative and we are trying to fundamentally understand how companies operate and ask the right questions of companies. So in short, our sustainability assessment is really designed to provide a holistic and in-depth framework for a company's durability of returns and the future growth prospects. And we think that's hugely important to deliver alpha for our clients. And I suppose this leads us into the key question here um, regarding delivering alpha for our clients is how do we demonstrate that um, in-house investing sustainably that we can outperform global markets and effectively using the expression that your colleagues have coined, do well by doing good? I think it's a very important question. And I think the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Um, there are a number of academic studies that point to how sustainability integration into investment processes does add to investment returns. However, there's also an argument that excluding certain parts of the market will be detrimental to investment returns. I'm firmly of the belief um, and passionately so, that there is no trade-off between the analysis we do on a sustainability basis and the analysis we do on a fundamental basis. And in fact, they're hugely additive to each other. And so just as an example, the benchmark that we are uh, measured against for the global sustainable growth strategy is the same benchmark that any other uh, global growth strategy would be measured against. This strategy was launched um, and evolved in 2017. And since we've evolved that strategy over the last five years, it's done an excellent job at proving and the dual mandate of delivering both social value and financial returns. And the outperformance record um, against the MSCI equity annualized over that basis speaks for itself. But the strategy has also been very active, um, you know, high active shares in the low 90s and a, and a tracking error in the region of three to five. 
So there's very high portfolio efficiency in the stock selection within the fund. And we think that's down to the rigorous and detailed approach that we have embedded within the, the SQ framework, but also the scrutiny we put around the fundamental analysis. And one of the attractions to our investors is perhaps when we look at the balance of the upside capture versus the downside protection and the consistency of the fund through um, many market cycles. It shows the strength and breadth of the stock selection and underpins the repeatability of our approach in relation to the SQ framework. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, final, my final point would be around the importance of, of company engagement. We've, we've focused on it a number of the number of points delivered uh, on this podcast today. It's incredibly important um, for us uh, and being able to give some examples of of companies that have shown their ability to adapt and thrive in the various challenging environments that we've just discussed. Obviously, the, the current market uh, falls nicely within that um, within that parameter. Would you be able to talk through some of that rationale and, and why it's so important? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a very important topic. Um, sustainability investment is is as much how you own a company as it is the, 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 the stocks that you choose to buy. So the way that we've set up the sustainability framework that we use um, helps us target engagements um, and focus on promoting more sustainable business practices and changing corporate behavior in all the businesses that we invest in and also all the businesses within our investable universe. Because ultimately we believe by doing so, uh, we can deliver superior shareholder returns, but also better social value. And so while the strategy is trying to seek out the best of breed companies, we also recognize that no company is ever going to be perfect. And so it's through these targeted engagements that we really get an understanding of how companies are improving and changing. And it's an important part of how we look to further improve outcomes for our investors. So, for instance, um, I can give you an example of a company in the UK um, called Bunzel. Um, they are not so well known. They're a global leader in distribution of non-food consumables and their products range from supplies for bathrooms, disposable cutlery, cups and safety wear for factories, lots of bits and pieces. And they've recently been benefiting in the post-COVID world of uh, increased sales of PPE masks and sanitizers. They operate in very highly fragmented markets and they provide value for customers by reducing their working capital needs and lowering purchasing and processing costs. They derive a competitive advantage from its scale and they support purchasing power, logistics and private label. But they also enjoy an incumbency advantage as their products are mission critical and typically a low percentage of costs. But from a sustainability perspective, there is an inherent tension between what they sell, which is single use products, um, rather than engaging and encouraging recycling or reuse. But most of the products that they use are unavoidably consumable, where sanitation and hygiene is a hugely important factor. So we've worked with them and engaged with them towards sustainable options across their product range. And they've got a team of experts and software tools to help customers understand and help mitigate their environmental impact at an individual product level. The company doesn't manufacture their products directly, so they don't have any significant emissions on their own, but they maintain clear emission reduction targets for their clients and from their suppliers. And they've got hugely strong practices around supplier auditing and managing the supply chain. Recently, we actually engaged with the company specifically around their science-based targets initiatives and their targets, and really to encourage them to think about their percentage of EVs in their fleet and the transport, given that transport accounts for 60% of their scope one emissions. We also had noted higher accident rates and engaged with them on employee health and safety issues. 
And the issue was largely related to the significant increase in new employees. And they had to actually beef up their training methods for new recruits in order to address this area of concern. They've actually put in the process of developing a new sustainability strategy, and we're encouraged by the response that we've seen to our um, many engagements. And so it's just an example of where our ownership of a company is not just decided by our pre-analysis and our decision to invest, but also the way that we continue to converse with the company as to how they can improve the sustainability practices going forward. And I think Bunzel is a very good example of that. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Scott. Um, just, just very much, uh, very briefly in summary from, from my perspective, then I think it's focusing on the long term, looking beyond the noise in the markets right now and fixation on quarterly earnings, for example, uh, focusing on companies with the best stakeholder relationships, as you've clearly demonstrated, utilising the research and resources available, ultimately with the explicit target of alpha generation continued for our for our investors and um the, the the product is clearly demonstrated scott thank you so much again for your time today thank you phil um to all our listeners thank you for joining us uh we look forward to continue to engage with you further uh, in 2022 the value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment. This podcast does not constitute an offer to anyone or a solicitation by anyone to subscribe for shares of Schroeder International Selection Fund. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as advice and is therefore not a recommendation to buy or sell shares. An investment in the company entails risks, which are fully described in the prospectus. Subscriptions for shares of the company can only be made on the basis of its latest key investor information document and prospectus, together with the latest audited annual report, copies of which can be obtained free of charge from Schroeder's Investment Management, South Africa. Disclosures and risk factors. Collective investment schemes are generally medium to long-term investments. The value of participatory interest or the investments may go down as well as up. Past performance is not necessarily a guide to future performance. Collective investment schemes are traded at ruling prices and can engage in borrowing and script lending. A schedule of fees and charges and maximum commissions is available on request from the manager. The manager does not provide any guarantee either with respect to the capital or the return of a portfolio. The manager has a right to close the portfolio to new investors in order to manage it more efficiently in accordance with its mandate.